Good morning, DJ and PK in the morning right here on 97.5 FM, 1280 AM in the Zone Sports Network. A lot to get to ahead on today's show. Obviously getting you ready for a weekend full of football. DJ will be along here shortly. We wanted to kick off today's show letting you hear from BYU Offensive Coordinator Jeff Grimes. The Cougars getting ready to take on UT San Antonio tomorrow afternoon at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Had a chance to catch up with Coach Grimes earlier this week during media availability. Had some interesting thoughts on the Roadrunners and just how the BYU offense as a whole is operating so far. So without further ado, let's get going this morning with BYU Offensive Coordinator Jeff Grimes. Really good practice today. Um, typical typical Wednesday. It's good to be back into a normal weekly pattern. Um, seems like I don't really even know what that is with, with the ups and downs and the, and the various schedules that we've had. Um, for these the, the first month of the season, but it's good to have a, a normal week. I thought the guys worked well today, and um, and got a lot of work done. So we're we're headed in the right direction. Okay, we'll start with a question from Jared Lloyd. Hey Jeff, got to talk offensive line to start, and and particularly the play of Joe Tukuaf, who's stepping in for James. James has been such a staple at center. What did you see from him going into the game, and then how did he grade out? Yeah, so um, really, really pleased with with what Joe did. You know, he's he's grown so much as a as a person and a player the last couple of years, and I've seen him kind of through his ups and downs. Um, but for him to step into to that moment was a was a big deal. And honestly, throughout the week, I thought his practice was um, up and down, a little bit shaky at times. But I felt like he was headed in the right direction. Challenged him really hard and reminded him after um, I think Wednesday's practice of last week that um, that a lot of people were counting on him and he said coach I got you I'm, I'm gonna be ready and from then on the next 48 hours I really I really began to see his sense of focus and sense of urgency grow and and he just kept telling me coach I'm gonna be ready and and he was and and he graded out well particularly for being in his first start um, and playing every snap you know I, I think the last time he's played a full game was I don't know five or six years ago and so um, really really pleased with his effort and not only that but he he provided a lot of energy and a lot of leadership on the sideline and in a broader sense just the overall depth of the offensive line how do you feel like that's coming along because you've had to have guys step in like you knew you would how do you feel like that's developing um it's coming along we certainly don't want to be in the position where where we're um without any of our players particularly a starter uh, particularly our better, you know, some of our better players on the team, but um, next man up, right? And um, and these guys have continued to to be ready. And Coach Mateos has done a great job developing some of the younger guys and and getting them ready to step in. And and you know the thing I think that maybe a lot of people didn't realize is that is that Tristan is actually our backup center. And so Joe has actually been our third center and not getting even all the reps that a normal backup would. And so, um, again, really, really pleased with that, with that group, where they're headed. Okay, we'll take a question from Jay Drew and then Jay Catch. Hey, Jeff, uh, being that you guys play next three opponents are from the state of Texas, I just writing a little bit about just the impact of that state. And I'm assuming you're probably the recruiting guy there since you have the Texas ties with, uh, but uh, how important is the state of Texas to, to BYU's recruiting efforts? 
Um, well, I think it's like a lot of states that aren't right here in our in our in our geographical um, footprint, in that because we're a national uh, school and, and we recruit guys from a number of places, wherever there's a state that has good football and has um, has uh, a large population base, then we're going to spend time recruiting there. And uh, and obviously, I know that I've spent most of my life in Texas. Um, grew up there, lived there until I was 30. Uh, family's all still there, and, and it still feels like home when I when I get back there. Uh, but I've also spent a lot of time recruiting the state, and so the opportunity to play there always helps your your chances in recruiting because people who who live there will be watching those games, I'm sure, and it'll give us a great opportunity to to uh, to make a name a little bit. So. Do you guys divide that up geographically? I, I know past staffs they have, but how does Kalani work it as far as recruiting? Yeah, okay. yeah, we do, we do. We all we all have certain areas, um, but that's for kind of the initial phase of finding guys, and then once we identify players that we like enough to really spend a lot of time on, either from um, an offer standpoint or a potential offer standpoint, then we spend a lot of time not only um, recruiting areas geographically but recruiting by position and so coach Mateos actually has um, Texas he's recruited there a lot and was there the last couple of years I kind of plugged into Arizona because I've spent some time in Arizona and that that ended up being a good spot for me but I still get back there whenever we have an offensive player Coach, I wanted to ask you about Joe. What led you to think he could move from tight end and be an effective offensive lineman? Um, his size. <laughs> he just kind of he grew out of a tight end. And, you know, I think there he was always that guy that was kind of a tweener. He was a guy that um, was just good enough uh, of an athlete that he could that he could play at tight end. Um, but probably more naturally growing towards being a lineman. And, and so the, you know, for a while it was kind of a joke and, and we kind of needed some help at tight end. You know, we had, we had some injuries there early on um, and we're trying to develop depth there and we needed them there. And, and then, uh, you know, Coach Mateos was the one who really pushed for it hard. He spent a lot of time talking to him and told him that he felt like he could he could really be a great guy there. And he was also the one who said not only did he think he would he would be a good lineman, but he said really early on he thought he would be a good center and um, has done a good job developing him. But just you know, the thing that I would that I would say um, is one thing I think we do a better job of here than a lot of places I've been is being able and willing to move guys around and try them at different spots not only from one position to another on either side of the ball but even going from offense to defense and vice versa Kalani's very open to that and and um and always encourages us to try to do our best to find the guy at home and is the door still open for both Tristan and James to potentially play this week yeah, I think they're both in, you know, they're in different situations and obviously I don't make those decisions. Um, it sounds like to me, James is probably a little closer than Tree, but um, I think I think they're both in the position where they're continuing to improve and being tested and monitored every day, um, but, but still questionable. Hey, Jared Lloyd, your question. 
Jeff, I want to switch switch gears on you a little bit. Uh, this is uh, National Mental Health Awareness Week, I believe, and I know that there's some helmet stickers and things going on as the team recognizes that. Chaz Ayu, of course, came out recently and talked about some of his own personal struggles and and how you know it can be tough in, in a football culture to address things like mental health and and be aware of that. And I just from your experience, how are we doing in that regard, and and where do you think we need to improve? Um, as a as a society or as a team, as in in football, in college football specifically, in college football, specific, not our team, just in general with college football. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, I think there's, um, I think there's certainly a concern because of the stigma attached to being a tough guy if you play college football, if you play football in general, and um, I think it's it's certainly gotten better. Um, when I was when I was in that in that age you know you would be certainly considered considered weak for talking about something like that and 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 it would be brushed off you know oh come on suck it up you know oh you just need to tough it up it'll be better tomorrow I think today we recognize that it's a much more serious issue and so I think we're healthier in terms of our willingness to approach it and willingness to talk about it I think there are certainly a lot more um, people available to help if a guy has an issue like that than, than there was back 20 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago, probably. Um, but there's still there's still a lot of work to do. And I think um, every time somebody comes out and says, you know what, I had a problem with this and this is how I um, have dealt with it. Um, I think I think it's another step in the right direction. Jeff, how do you balance when when a guy maybe is struggling a little bit, the, the, the I need to kick him in the pants a little bit and get him going versus maybe there's something more serious here? Because that's, that's a tough balance for a coach to try and figure out. I think it is. It certainly is. And, and I think years of experience have helped. There were – um, there are probably still these moments, but I can I can remember a number of moments when I was a younger coach where I was grinding on somebody pretty hard, and then somebody else came to my side and just said, "Hey, you know, his mom's really sick," and no, I had no idea, or you know, he's really struggling with something going on with him personally right now. And so I think I just I recognize the signs a little bit better now than I used to. And then the other thing I think I notice is how does a guy respond when I kick him in the tail and I challenge him? Is that something that invigorates him and brings him towards better performance and makes him better? Or am I doing something that's driving him downward and he's beginning to slip down that hill into a place where he's not responding? And so I think his response to it is, is another sign for me. Hey, uh, we'll take one more question from Jake Catch. Yeah, Coach, I just wanted to get your insight on what you're seeing from UTSA on film going into this game. Yeah, they present a, a couple of things that are that are real problems. First of all, I would just say that I I, I can feel um, a sense of toughness. I know I know the head coach by reputation a little bit. Him being a, a Texas guy, a guy that was a long time high school coach in Texas, and I know he's 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 got a. Um, an aggressive personality and one that's bringing a culture of toughness to that team. And you can see it when you see how they play. These guys play hard. They play physical, play with great effort. And there's an aggressive style of defense. Um, 
Tyrone Nix, defense coordinator, was at Ole Miss when I was at Auburn, and so I've seen his defenses before, and um, they're going to challenge you. They're going to challenge you uh, with their scheme. A lot of um, extra pressures, pressures with not only uh, linebackers and the front, but really everyone on the field could be a blitzer. Safeties, cornerbacks um, from all locations in, ev- in every scenario, not just in um, – in certain down and distances or on or in certain field zones, you could have um, you could have a very aggressive blitz on on any down and distance. And they may come back to back to back, particularly if you don't handle them. So the scheme is one that's very aggressive and one that challenges you from the onset. And you can tell that they play with a very aggressive style, particularly in their defensive line. Their defensive line, I think, is the strength of their team. Those guys are well coached. They do a great job of playing with leverage, using their hands and and they play hard and physical. They hit you. When the ball is snapped, they come off and they try to hit you right in the teeth. And and I respect how they play. And so um, I like it. it. It challenges me as a coach, and, and I know it will challenge our players too. There you go. BYU offensive coordinator Jeff Grimes. The Cougars obviously will be taking on the UTSA Roadrunners tomorrow. They will be facing off against the Houston Cougars next week. Houston had five turnovers last night, but still rolled past Tulane. Looks like what might be one of the better opponents on BYU schedule uh, are the Cougars versus the Cougars next Friday, but obviously the Cougars, speaking of BYU, need to take care of business here tomorrow afternoon first. All right, coming up next, you'll hear from Ed Lamb, BYU Special Teams Coordinator and Assistant Head Coach. Had some interesting thoughts on how BYU goes about their player performance and how they keep guys fresh and healthy. We'll get to more of that coming up and a lot more still to come right here on DJ and PK in the morning on the Zone Sports Network. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, it's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. All right, you just heard from Jeff Grimes, BYU's offensive coordinator. Now it's time to hear from Ed Lamb. Uh, Ed's got a lot of duties. He's got a lot of duties for the... uh, for the Cougars. Um, does a lot of special team stuff, but uh, is kind of an assistant head coach is over some stuff as well. And, you know, it's more than just offense, defense, special teams. Uh, Yach listened to this and came away really impressed with um, kind of the, uh, what's the phrase, different, different teams and programs use different stuff, but like kind of the human performance, that kind of, uh, you know, how do you keep guys healthy over the long run and make sure that you don't overwork them and that can lead to either a drop in performance or it can lead to, in the long term, it can lead to injuries, especially muscle pulls and that kind of stuff uh, that can knock guys out for a while. So Ed talks about a lot of that stuff as well. It's BYU and Texas San Antonio. Last I saw, the spread was up to 34 and a half. For the life of me, I don't know, unless you're addicted to gambling, what the heck you'd be doing. At that point, if you're betting on a game like this, you're just betting on how bad Kalani wants to win. It's <laughs> just like, at what point when a coach is winning big, does he want to get the second string guys in? At what point when a coach is winning big, does he want to develop young guys by giving them time in games? 
If you want to win by 50, you win by 50. If you want to win by 28, you win by 28. All right. Here's Ed Lamb on a variety of topics as BYU gets ready for Texas San Antonio. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Here's Ed Lamb. I think the, the guys are really into football right now. They're eight, eight up with football. And so from the time they report uh, in the facility, the meetings, the weightlifting sessions, out at practice, the, the guys are just really doing an excellent job of staying riveted on football, taking it serious, getting after each other, holding each other accountable. There's just a lot of energy right now. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Ed, you guys have been playing a lot of people on defense in the regular rotation. What is the substitution plan when you go into a game? Um, do you plan on playing a certain number of guys, a certain number of reps? How does that get determined? Well, every game is really flexible that way. That's a, that's a, a difficult question to ask or to answer. Um, in general, I would say the idea is, is to go in and play the, the number ones. So those who we've identified as, as the top players at their position, we want to play them as much as possible with the caveat being that, uh, you know, once a, a, per, a player's snap count gets above 60, there becomes, I think, a little bit of uh, an issue for fatigue. And if not fatigue in that game, certainly over the course of the season, um, there, if a player is playing 60 snaps week in and week out. And so uh, we try to uh, continually evaluate how the tempo of the game is going, how many plays that we've played at the end of the first quarter, how many plays that we've played at the half, and make sure that we keep guys on track. Now, at each position, we, we might have a 1A and a 1B, and so the rotation might be different, of course, at those positions. We might be looking to get an equal equal number of reps. And I've got a couple of positions where I feel like, you know, the guys should be playing, uh, for example, five snaps for one guy for every two of the other. And then we leave it up to those guys to, to be responsible about leaving it all out on the field and substituting each other in and out. Yeah, Ed, what, what do you feel has been the, at least on the defensive side, one of the biggest reasons for this early season success? Um, yeah, so I'm going to answer the biggest, the biggest reason I feel like the biggest reason is the, the team play right now. The, the offense is putting the opponent's offense. Our offense is putting the opponent's offense in a position where they have to strain to score, where they have to be aggressive in their schemes. And uh, so we've been able to get into some more predictable uh, pass situations at times where we feel like we can get after the passer and sometimes that's, that's schematic. You know, when you try to be aggressive and get after the passer, sometimes that's, that's more uh, turning it loose individually out of position. And, uh, you know, I think the, the synergy right now that's going on with the whole team, the fact that we've been able to get you know, a halftime lead um, and, and basically put the other team behind uh, the eight ball, I think has allowed both our offense and defense to, to then jump and thrive into some aggressive situations. What value do you feel uh, is there for the program when you're seeing, receiving all this national attention and headlines? What, what value does that give the program, you think? It's, uh, it's really just a change in, in obstacles. It's a change of, of challenges. Uh, when a team is, is losing or disappointed or, or down at any point in the season, the challenge for the coaches becomes um, to, to, get the, to keep them believing in themselves and um, – you know, we have the opposite issue right now. I, I think our guys very much believe in themselves and, and we have to do a great job of making sure that our guys understand that every team is good. Every team is capable of beating the Cougars. We can be, we can, we can beat any team out there and any team can beat us. And that's, that's the message that just, you know, whether you're winning or losing, it always has to be uh, sold to the players. And I think the, which, which type of salesmanship we need to use in those situations is what changes right now. 
Coach, we just heard you mention that you guys have a 60-snap, I guess what you call limit or a recommendation. Is that a newer thing in this sport? Is it something you guys have seen with sports science? What caused you guys to settle on that number? Yeah, well, that's a great question. So, like, when I was playing, we didn't have games that went above 60 snaps. You, you might have one a year or something like that. Um, but the game has changed. And uh, when, I think when teams started to really run tempo for tempo's sake offense, you see teams now – running, running tempo, even if they're, even if they're behind, even if they're outmatched and they're, they're just trying to run as many plays on offense as they can, uh, not necessarily in an effort to win, but in an effort to do what they've set out to do, which is run as many plays as they can. Uh, winning is, you know, a byproduct of doing it correctly, I guess they would say. Uh, since that philosophy has, has really uh, transcended throughout football of, of at least changing up the tempo and going fast when possible, I think at that time, all coaches started to look at at what point are our players wearing down. And, and sometimes, you know, that 60 snaps is uh, a very uh, generic model over the course of a game. But what I've seen is that sometimes uh, if, if an offense is putting together several drives back to back and our offense happens to stall out, then it, it might just be a matter of playing too many snaps in a quarter. And so at that point, maybe we're looking at 15 snaps in a quarter being, being too many snaps. We've seen your defense. You work mainly with the linebackers. We have names like Cinco and Jack and all these different names. What went into those different names? Do they have specific designations, or do you guys just have guys set at different spots and then you put them on the field? Again, again, I think the the answer to that question, I I, I think some of those have gotten some attention with, with our team because we, we actually put it out there on a depth chart. And part of the reason for that is we have a lot of – returning guys who have contributed, made significant contributions in the past. And we want to recognize them for the roles that they do play. But, you know, when, when offenses uh, a couple of decades ago now started to really go from, from one or two personnel groups to five or six personnel groups per team. And then uh, not only that, but just more varied formations as the video technology within the sport has grown and the ability for us to get uh, not just a printed a paper stapled scouting report out to our players, but now we can, we can feed them loads more information than we used to. And I think that what you see in that depth chart for us is just probably what every, every defense is doing now. It, it, we no longer can say, I don't think you're going to find any team in college or professional football. That's just a four, three defense or just a three, four defense or has three linebackers on the field or all the time, or, or five DBs or four DBs. It just, there's so many changes and nuances within each defensive system. And I think we just probably have been more out front about sharing that. Yeah, coach. Um, I, I was actually wondering something kind of similar to that. And, and I'm going to try to stick general because I know you wouldn't want to get into specifics about this anyways. Um, but when you're looking at a team, that has the possibility of, of defending multiple quarterbacks. Is there, is, is there maybe a point where you, you guys kind of start preparing just for like generic, the generic offense, the overall flow of the offense, rather than like the particular guy or number that's leading that offense kind of thing. Um, quite, quite the opposite. Uh, we, we don't prepare generically. We, we prepare for each quarterback. And so when there are like this week, for example, there's a high likelihood that we can't predict the starting quarterbacks for the opponent. They're just, they're, you know, they've shown multiple guys at this point, they're dealing with some injuries. So we have to prepare for each quarterback. Now to your question, if, 
if some of the quarterbacks have similar skill sets uh, and we see that showing up on video and with the schemes that they run, then, then that defensive plan would transcend be- between those two quarterbacks, for example. But we always have to prepare for the starting quarterback, what we feel like would be some of the, our preferred calls, and then the backup quarterback, um, and, and, and in many cases, the third-team quarterback. And oftentimes, it, it's really a weekly exercise. We very often are going back and watching high school highlight tapes to figure out you know, what, the, what the talents and abilities of some of those down-the-line depth chart, depth chart quarterbacks are. Ed, with that uh, that snap count conversation you had earlier, I, looking at my count, I, 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 by my count, again, it could be wrong here, but Zane and Troy Warner, two highest in terms of snaps this year, maybe speak to the significance that they hold on this defense on the back end and those safety spots. They do. That's a that's a ton of experience back there. Uh, Kavika Fanua is another one that we that we uh, consider as a safety. But as you as you've probably seen, he's been playing linebacker and nickel, and he's been carrying the ball at running back as well, and giving us some depth over there. So, you know, we if there was were any issues at, at the safety position, then Kavika might be another guy that that could fill in there. Those three guys together, the number of games that they've started, the number of tackles that they've made interceptions, passes broken up, number of checks and calls over their, over their time and experience. They just, they offer us a, a huge benefit back there. How, how nice has it been to, from a personnel standpoint, to be able to uh, play guys and not have to worry about eligibility, red shirts, and just kind of have that comfort knowing everyone can play if need be. And you guys have had the opportunity to give a lot of snaps to some young guys with these wide margins that you've been having in the fourth quarter. Great point. It's one of the one of the uh, silver linings of all of these COVID challenges that we're dealing with. That that challenge really was taken away as far as having to, to determine whether or not this year would be a redshirt year or a senior year. We're, our players have just really been able to, and coaches have really been able to look at the season for what it's worth and to attack it full speed. And you know whatever whatever COVID measures and challenges there are, that's not one of them right now. Hey, Ed, I wanted to ask you about recruiting Ryan Rico and uh, basically offering a scholarship to a punter, which is, was, isn't that common, I guess. What stood out about him, and what do you recall from his recruitment and getting him to BYU? The first thing about uh, uh, Ryan, you, you hit the nail on the head, Jay. We don't, we don't often have uh, scholarships that we can go out and recruit specialists with. The, the typical pattern for at most, at most universities, unless you're desperate for one, is – that they come in and earn a spot and the starting guy gets awarded with a scholarship. But in Ryan's case, we liked him as a, a tight end, as a defensive end. He's a multi-sport athlete in high school as well, really good basketball player in, in Washington. And um, so we offered him as an athlete. And this was very early in the, in the time that we were here. And we had a few more uh, scholarship spots in that athlete category. We don't do that quite as much anymore. And then, you know, we, just with how recruiting went in, from the time that he committed and went on a mission and came back, we felt like you know his, his longest runway for him personally was at punter, and we felt like that would be the best help for the team. There's Ed Lamb talking a little Cougar football. Jeff Grimes before him. When we come back, we're going to talk Utes, the athletic director, Mark Harlan with PK&I next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. 
from Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are joined now by Utah Athletic Director Mark Harlan. He joins us on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Mark, good morning. Good morning. How we doing, guys? We're doing well. Uh, we got a bunch of stuff to ask you about, uh, but I guess let's start first big picture. For a while there, you were definitely drinking out of the fire hydrant. There were just curveballs coming at you. I can mix my metaphors and similes here all day long. There were curveballs coming at you every hour. Has it settled down a little bit? Is there a little bit of, okay, here's what we have to do. Here's the plan. Now let's try to execute this. Or do you still click on an email uh, pick up your phone and just realize, well, I just have to take that box and turn everything upside down and dump it out and start over again. Well, you know, empathetic to everybody dealing with, with COVID-19, right? I mean, I think everybody can relate to the fact that every day is a little different, you know, whether you're kids in school or, or not in school and, and, and work and, and otherwise. And to your point, we're not immune to, uh, you know all of that here, and you know it's been a it's been a heck of a six, seven, eight months. Um, seems like in some some cases two years, and other times it feels like five minutes. But where we are today, uh, this morning, as I call you, is there's a lot of excitement here. There's a lot of excitement with with our football program. Uh, a few days away from Camp Kyle, and and you know they've been in a 12-hour working session for quite some time, and and they're getting ready to get the pads on and. Uh, get after it. And now that they have a schedule, uh, they can see the light. And, and when football is lifted in that way, it lifts the whole department. Everybody gets that, that energy. Uh, we've been able to take some people off of furlough uh, that will help us stage the games and, and get ready. That's been a real awesome development for us uh, to be able to do that. Not everybody, but but some people that, are, that obviously are, are structured in that. And so there's a lot of good news right now, but we also know with this virus that uh, where there's an up day, there could be a, a down day tomorrow. And it's just my role and, and folks working here to just keep everything moving forward despite uh, the information you're dealing with. Yeah, that's well said as far as the, the crazy nature of it, and we don't really know what's around the corner, literally. And that's one of the things that I was surprised with the conference starting on the 7th, maybe the 6th, I don't know if that's been decided, but that Saturday the 7th, and it leaves no margin for error. And, you know, I've been talking to the folks there in your football program, and they have been. Somebody told me, you know, we are just so tired of lifting weights and running. You know, they have been doing all this stuff, as you say. So my, my point for you is, uh, are you surprised or was there any way maybe surprise isn't the right word but anyway maybe some of these teams couldn't have started earlier because Kyle has said they could have gone earlier so therefore you build in some flexibility into the schedules in case some things arise that you don't anticipate now but we see, see that it wouldn't be that more big of a stretch that a game or two in the conference can get canceled and then you don't have any flexibility to move stuff around whereas if you started earlier maybe you would have well, there's no question as it relates to to our situation here. We would have preferred to have started, you know, earlier. Uh, I think the week before was 
was certainly something that we had talked about. Uh, there were some others that uh, felt like they were ready to, but quite candidly, it was very few uh, that really felt like they were in that situation. Um, you know, you probably saw yesterday in media day, I think we had two of our coaches uh, say they're still waiting for clearance uh, to be able to, to get out in, in groups larger than 12. Uh, in California tomorrow, but you know, I think collectively uh, the conference felt like uh, you know if you don't have more than four or five schools, you know, even number, obviously four or six schools that are ready to go. Let's just all take the same time to get ready for that first weekend, and that turned out to be the the, the weekend of November sixth, seventh, and so you know, obviously from a transparent point of view, we would have preferred to go earlier. To your point, having a, a weekend that. Uh, you know, some schools could have maybe had a buy, probably would have been a good thing, but we're beyond that now. You know, we voted as a conference. Our chancellors and presidents made that decision, and, and we lock in like everybody else. And, uh, you know, November 7th is going to be here pretty quick. So we know that, that uh, November 7th isn't going to involve a, uh, a 9 a.m., 10 a.m. here, but 9 a.m. local time game with Arizona State and USC. Is this like a one-time kind of – trial run here? Is this something everybody's likely to sample over the uh, course of the season, or is this something we're going to see uh, going forward even when there are fans back in the stadiums presumably, whether it's a year, two, three? Is this going to kind of become a normal part of life in the Pac-12? Well, as it relates to this year, I think there might be another window or two possi- possibly uh, on the 12 noon Eastern Big Fox uh, slot that we saw Arizona State there I said it on your show. I said Arizona State. I was going to avoid that today. <laughs> it's like bingo last night. I said it. Um, so we we if if the window comes open to us, as, as Kyle has said, you know, he and I had a long talk about it. We just felt like it made a lot of sense this year, whether we're home or on the road, to 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 try it. We we love the window. We love the national exposure. Students really love playing on that on that stage. There's a lot of reasons to do it. And, you know, the big apprehension of not doing it is is fans and what that puts people through. And, you know, with the decision not to have fans, you know, it made sense to to really take a good look at it and 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 then and then look back at it after it's over, you know, besides just winning or losing a game. But how did it all work out? You know, I don't remember what coach said it yesterday, but, you know, we we have these sometimes these eight o'clock games out here, as we all know, and what's not talked about a lot. You know, there's 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 a lot of the, the, what the fans go through in the late windows on a Saturday night, but what the players go through. You know, I mean, to to be in a hotel all day long, getting your bodies and and you know shape and how you eat and and all that stuff. It's it's a it's a long road, and so I think that's just as traumatic in some ways is is getting up that early. Um, and a lot of our kids, they wake up so dang early because they're so excited about the game anyway. So we're really kind of hoping it, it happens for, for all the reasons that we talked about. As far as it being a continuation, I still haven't done enough listening to, to folks about how it would affect them um, as, as far as being a fan. I mean, I, I can guess and assume, um, but I, I need to do more work. My team needs to do more work. So it wouldn't be automatic at all. Um, but it's something I think at least we'll know how the team managed it as we look at it in the future. How is the university going to handle these scholarship issues with these individual athletes across the board, both uh, guys and, and women, in terms of if they want to come back and not use this year as uh, counting towards their eligibility? 
Well, we're we're all in on what the NCAA decides to do, right? There's no question that if uh, you know if if you want to come back as a senior, you know you're entitled to that. The way the rule reads is, you know, you're you're frozen this year, so to speak, just like we saw with our spring athletes. So we're seeing this in baseball and softball come to mind super seniors as I refer to them, you know, and that just comes back to them having conversations with their coaches, where are they going to fit in uh, with an incoming freshman class now uh, coming in as well? Do they see it as, as something that they want to do? They have conversations and it goes from there, but they're entitled to, to be back. Uh, we saw, I think of our 33 super seniors, I want to say our number was, I think about 11 or 12 came back, some went on with, with their lives or, or went to other institutions. But we're we're uh, we're all in on that decision. It, just like we're all in if if a, if a young person wants to opt out uh, this year due to all the COVID and the testing and the concerns. If they opt out, they're they're in good standing and welcome to come back as well. So it's not just one class of super seniors with everybody getting a free year. This could uh, you could be coming up with more scholarship money for multiple years going forward. How do you deal with that? You are on top of that. A lot of folks don't uh, don't mention that. They think of the seniors. Everybody's frozen. It's a free year for, for the entire the state football. It's a free year for everybody. So, yeah, it's going to be four or five years of managing, uh, you know, this in some sort of way. What, what gets interesting is that, so in football this year, we, we obviously are restricted to 85 scholarships. Next year, the number goes to, to how many seniors come back. And so you'll, you know, you'll have that to deal with. And then the following year, unless the rule changes, you have to go back to 85. So that's a real interesting challenge for coaches to manage their roster. You know, obviously it could be a, a pretty tough effect for rising. I guess that would be juniors right now um, because there might not be a lot of space on rosters. So it's going to be, you know, there's definitely some consequences of all this, but it's still the right thing to do for dealing with students that are here during COVID and what they've had to manage to give them that opportunity. You spoke of fans uh, in terms of the early starts. So there have been some reports that you know the Pac-12 doesn't want to have or is not going to have fans, but yet uh, I believe you were quoted as saying that you may let some fans in, whether they be family members, to the three home games this year. How is that going to work? Yeah, so the league, the league uh, chancellors and presidents did give some space for for schools that are able to to have a very limited family and friends of of the, of the, the teams that are competing. So imagine maybe a number that's in the 400, 500 range at most where, you know, our student athletes on the roster could have maybe four guests and then um, our coaches, uh, families, uh, and that would, that would be it, absolutely it. And that's only if it's allowed. And I, from what I understand in California and Oregon and I believe Washington, they're not going to have that availability until sometime, you know, maybe late in the spring or, or not until fall of 21. And then I think there's four, um, those Arizona schools and Colorado and ourselves that might have that opportunity depending on how things are in our community. But, gosh, I'm really hoping so. You know, it, it, it's it's such a disappointment to not have our fans in there. We, I was just talking about with one of our football coaches yesterday. It's just you, you can't even – get your mind around it we've all you know we've all seen the empty stadiums on television but when it finally comes to you and you start thinking about running around in there w- without that crowd which we know has helped us win football games on multiple occasions so um but at the very least if, if the family of of our kids could be there that that would be a, a really nice thing to do and we're hoping to be able to to do so 
You know, everybody who drives up the hill uh, right past the end of the stadium looks over, sees no south end zone, and wonders, how you can play three home games with no locker rooms? <laughs> Seems like a small detail, but it fascinates a lot of people, maybe just because so many people can drive by the stadium and see it. Uh, do you have that plan nailed down? Yeah, Kyle Brennan and uh, Jeff Rudy have been working on that along with Gavin Gower, facility uh, director. They've been they've been contemplating this for a while. When we saw, obviously, what was going on, and we, we met with Layton Construction, we they said to us, hey, guys, if we can get after this early and knock this this down, you know, it'd be good for everybody. And, and so that was, gosh, back in May, June, maybe even earlier. But before we could do that, we had to have a, at least an outline of a plan and how it would work if, if, we, if we were able to get going. So they had a plan, and, and obviously they've dusted it off. I mean, I, I can see some, something to the effect where we dress in the Eccles football building, we, we cross the street, uh, and then we have some un- space that's underneath the stadium that we could use for halftime. Um, and then as far as the visiting team, we're, you know, we're looking at options, everything from Einer Nelson to, to other areas. So we, we've got a plan, and uh, you know, we might need a, a minute or two extra at halftime um, and I, you know, I think you guys may have seen my quote before. I don't think anybody in our league uh, would think that anything we're doing for them uh, would be any worse than what they currently had uh, when they came here to Rice Eccles in, in the in the visiting locker room. So whatever whatever they get will be fine. But yeah, we're excited about that, and, and it's helped us to be able to keep the project where it needs to be. Um, it'll look a little different on TV now uh, without having anything there. But but uh, we're just so excited to be playing. We'll, we'll manage anything. Yeah, I don't think you were there yet, but you had that one year before the facility was built where they just had those, uh, they put up a bunch of portable buildings on the south side of the practice facility, and we did all that for a year, and it seemed like it was manageable, and they held meetings. We held the weekly Monday thing there, and so it seems like you could be able to do that, and it wouldn't be that big of an issue. As far as this goes, when it's done, uh, I, as uh, whatever is on the you have constantly building projects for other sports but at that point would football would you be in the mindset of uh, you know we've got everything that we need for a while and and you wouldn't be looking to add other stuff facility wise to your football program well you know you're never done in terms of of you know things that you can do to improve your programs and I think that uh, in football, you know, to, to, to be elite, you always have to, to really be strategic in the way you invest. And so Whit and I are always talking about, you know, what, what makes sense uh, for us. We know that we have incredible facilities here. Obviously, the Eccles Football Center is, you know, premier in this conference and, and in this country. And as you said, the, the stadium when completed, going over 50,000 premium seating and just unbelievable addition for for the the program you know we'll look to to other other things that uh anything that that can help you know as i look at the indoor facility which obviously this year is is going to be uh utilized more is there more things we can do in there uh you know we've, we've talked about trying to expand some of our outdoor practice fields so you're always looking at at doing things uh and the great thing about the university of utah we have unbelievable donors who uh, are very open to discussing these things and, and helping us move forward. Utah Athletic Director Mark Harlan joining us. So the uh, football is a huge thing to get off the ground, but basketball comes right on its heels there. Uh, do you know what the non-conference schedule is going to look like, how that's going to play out? Is the conference schedule nailed down at 18 or 20 games? Is all that still a work in progress, or 
Have you got some stuff figured out? Yeah, we're just about there to figuring out. We made a decision as a conference. I don't think it's been announced yet, but we're going to have anywhere between seven and nine non-conference games. You know, part of the presidents and chancellors, when they looked at the medical advisory board output, uh, they felt comfortable as long as we were daily testing that that we could move forward in, in non-conference uh, for, for basketball and our remaining sports the rest of the year, as long as they follow the protocol of our daily testing. So whoever we play has to come in, test the day before, uh, has to test the day of the game, and we would have to do the same. So, you know, that's a that's a complexity that, that not everyone is dealing with. And so we, we've got, a, you know, obviously we have adjust, adjusted dates with those that we had contracts for, and then they all have to agree to that testing policy. So we're kind of going through that process now we're definitely making some headway the other interesting thing for us is this is the year that we were to have been in atlantis in in one of the multi-team events known as mtes and that one too we're trying to figure out because most of those mtes have been canceled or totally uh changed you know ours has been moved from atlantis to south dakota which is interesting who came up with that one but nonetheless so we're working with them on their testing protocols. Uh, if it matches the Pac-12, we, we really want to stay with that because there's a lot of great teams in that. Uh, so we're figuring that out. We're figuring out the rest of our games. But, you know, Kyle Brennan and Coach Whittingham and Andy Hill and Donnie Daniels, they're all, they're all really uh, spending a lot of hours on it. And it's the same thing with our, with our women's uh, team. It's it's the same complications, but every day there's a little bit more clarity to it. So I'm really hoping that we uh, we get the schedule all wrapped up here in the next uh, two weeks because I think we're seven weeks from starting. So obviously we need to get that finalized. As far as if you get a number of cases positive, is there going to be a limit like for the high schools if they had 15, they considered closing classes and some of them went to online, some of them are going to, you know, A through K and then the rest of the alphabet. So they're going every other day and then Friday's an online day and a teacher preparation day and that type of thing. As far as your football program, is there going to be some numbers that you have to keep under in order to continue to practice and play games? Yeah, you're you're spot on to what we're working on right now. I mean, we've got two two things to to look at in that regard. One is the typical game. So, Arizona, Utah, as we as we approach approach that game, what the directors right now in the conference are working on with with head coach input is what will it take for that game to be? I guess we have to use the word canceled. To your earlier point about no, no place to put the game, what would it take for that game to be canceled and so we're looking at what that number would be um, from from not only a whole number, but also a position by position number. You know, I mean, it, if you don't have quarterbacks, if you don't have offensive line in particular, those positions. And so we're looking at, at kind of wrapping that up maybe as early as next week so that, you know, here's the deal. We're not available because we don't have this. The conference certifies that and you, that, that cancels the game. The second way that, that games could be canceled is, is what the presidents and chancellors have made clear, that they, that they wanted an off-ramp that if you know, community spread, campus issues, whatever it might be from their perspective, that, that they would say, hey, you know, we tried this, we came back, it's just it's not working. Certainly they're prerogative, they run the conference, and, and uh, you know, that could happen. So those are the two things that, 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 that could cancel a, a football game. You know, the hope is that uh, we avoid that and and we can get these games in but i think we're all realistic we we all watch what's going on we study what's going on 
and we know that uh, we're going to be pretty blessed if we get the entire season in across the conference. So knowing that there's a there's a decent chance there'll some be some games that just can't be played. If it's one of the better teams in the conference, and we've seen the preseason poll out, so we know who people are assuming slash guessing, would those teams be free to play non-conference games against teams that match the testing protocol? Because everybody wants to see the Pac-12 in the playoff for multiple reasons. There's a financial payout. There's reputation issues and all that. And I don't know if seven wins will get you in or not, but I'm thinking 5-0 and or 6-0 and won't. So, that, you know, if there's some way to find one more game for an elite team, is that possible? At this point, no. I mean, it's, it's the regular season is, is a Pac-12 only, uh, you know, schedule. Uh, you know, I think that, that the, the idea that that would be available is probably a, a stretch and, and hard to imagine how if a team, you know, on a Thursday can't play because of what I mentioned earlier, is going to be able to find somebody, you know, to play, you know, because the following week that that team has another Pac-12 game already scheduled. So it's hard to even imagine how it would work. But specifically to your question, our regular season is is uh, Pac-12 only. You know, we are looking at that last weekend, which is the championship weekend, that Friday night championship. You know, for the rest that aren't in the championship game, we're also making some final you know, final decisions on what that day needs to really look like. And, um, you know, right now the thought is it's it's five versus five, four versus four, but we want to make sure we do a deep dive on that, make sure that's the smartest thing to do. Would it be better to have a game that was needed to be rescheduled to be put on that day? Um, does it make sense for five to play five? We just want to take a really good look at that before we lock it in. But that's the only day that we might be able to do something. Of course, to your point, DJ, I mean that's that's you know our championship teams would be the only two that would be considered going to to, mm-hmm. to the CFP, so it wouldn't really help in that regard. Yeah, Mark Harlan, Utah Athletic Director, joining us. We've heard the Bahamas Bowl and the Hawaii Bowl are not going to play this year. Are all your bowl partners planning on playing? Would there be any extra bowl games available to the conference? Might there be fewer than normal? Do you have any clarity there? Well, I know the league uh, informed us on Wednesday morning in our in our call that they're going through their league, excuse me, their bowl meetings. Merton Hanks, our new director of football operations, and Jamie Zinovich, the deputy athletic director, are meeting with all the bowls. And so far, so good as it relates to them wanting to be a part of the structure. Uh, you know, it's important for a lot of them. You know, they they have television deals. They'd like to see that revenue. Obviously, conversely, we've got a lot of our bulls in California, and you know, there's you just there's just not going to be fans there. So, can they make it work? Can they? You know, does their you know financial model allow for for them to be able to handle that? I think probably, you know, we're going to see our bulls stay stay uh, active. It's going to be different. I, I don't know if it would be, you know, going out for three or four days. Uh, you know, there's a lot of time between now and then. But uh, our hope is that our bulls in our lineup are all there. You know, the bulls that you mentioned are not in our lineup. Uh, but I know there's a lot of conversations going on with our bull partners as we speak. Utah Athletic Director Mark Harlan joining us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Mark, thanks for a few minutes and uh, answering your fans' questions. We appreciate it. All right, guys. Now, listen, you know, I'm impressed that none of you asked about your own personal access to the stadium uh, this, 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 this coming month. And so because you didn't ask, that gives you a lot better chance to have the opportunity.
<laughs> Actually, I thought about that, but I thought, you know, the fans, they don't really care about the media. So that's our concern, and we want to represent what the fans want. But, yeah, obviously, I had somebody as recently as last night ask me, are you going to the games? I don't know. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's going to be different. It, I tell you, it, it's it's like we talked about it. It's it's going to be crazy to manage it all. But we know you guys got to do your work, and and we got to make sure we're telling the story about these games. But I always appreciate you guys. Give me a holler anytime. There's Utah Athletic Director Mark Harlan. When we come back, what is trending? NFL football, college football, playoff baseball. It's all on the way. Stay with us.